Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where we have taste. Thanks. Good taste or bad taste, I will, I will leave for you to discover. Uh, my it name varies is, from episode to episode. episode. Yeah, sometimes we have impeccable taste. Mm. I always have impeccable taste. Yeah, sometimes I suck. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, I am the one with impeccable taste. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic. Mm. Uh, I contribute to Slash Film. Mm. And with me, as always, is my uh, scintillating co-host. My name is William Debiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And I'm the guy who people like to write and say, if you like this movie, I know I'm going to hate it. And vice versa. <laughs> my, I, I have family members who say that yeah. to me. It's like, hey, I was thinking of seeing this movie. What do you think? Oh, I loved it. Oh, okay, then I'm not going to see it. Yeah. Well, th- thank you. Yeah, at least we're consistent, right? You can say you, know you watched what? us. That's that's all. If, if what I say gives you guidance... Mm-hmm. Great. You're listening. That's fine. You know who I am and you know what to expect. Anyway, this week, what are, yeah, what are we reviewing, this week? reviewing the new releases Ambulance from director Michael Bay. All the Old Knives, starring Chris Pine and Tendiwe Newton, uh, As They Made Us, the directorial debut of Mayim Bialik from Jeopardy. That's right. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but it stars uh, Candice Bergen and Dustin Hoffman. Uh, wow, and, all right. Yeah, and then a new Netflix movie called Metal Lords. Uh, conspicuously absent from this list is a film called Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Uh, we did not see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 for a variety of reasons. Uh, couldn't get out. Couldn't get out to see it. Uh, I had car trouble. I had medical Um, trouble, which I'm really looking forward to getting that resolved. Uh, and, uh, lots been going on. So, uh, we weren't able to go see Sonic. We apologized. We hear it's okay. (laughs) <laughs> if, if, anyway, if you're wondering our opinion we uh, don't have one yet but we've heard it's fine <laughs> i i can uh i i did review the first one yeah the, the sonic the hedgehog one i didn't review and, it uh, at the time but i did end up seeing it and it's fine it's fine it's innocuous enough Bl- like it's bl- pretty bland and got a weird obsession with olive garden which i'm sure olive garden played out the nose for uh from what i understand that was just a gag they wrote into the script they wanted kind of like an unseemly embarrassing kind of business to throw in as a gag so they sure. chose the olive garden but i'm and, sure yeah, yeah, they, but then I'm, olive garden end up getting a getting a name check I, i'm sure i'm sure james marsden gets free like mm. dinner rolls at olive garden whenever he shows up yeah which i'm sure he does all the time <laughs> James Marsden, he's just a he loves to go to the Olive Garden because when you're there, you're family. Jesus, that is the theme of the Sonic the Hedgehog movies. So we didn't see Sonic. We apologize for that. Well, maybe we'll try to get to it for next time. Uh, But we just had to move on. That's just how life works sometimes. But uh, Whitney. Mm. (laughs) Oh, I I had the uh, good fortune. Yeah, I wasn't able to for pre-mentioned reasons, and it sucked. I had a rough week, but um. I wasn't able to go see the new Michael Bay movie, Ambulance, so Whitney had to go see it, which Mm. is really ironic, because if either one of us was more inclined to like a Michael Bay movie, I think most people would agree it's probably me, which is weird, because I'm not that big a fan, but (laughs) Whitney has just... You have have told the story before. Uh, Yes. About how watching a Michael Bay movie ruined action movies for you, more or less for life. Well, it, it... He he didn't really ruin action movies for me. Okay. Uh, just I, I saw his film, his nineteen ninety six film, The Rock, mm. when I was about seventeen years old, and um, it it was just so overblown and clunky and stupid mm. that it kind of made me realize I hate the genre. Yeah, like I didn't want to see anything that had chases or escapes or gunfights for many years after that. That's really useful information I feel to know about a critic. You know, a lot of people would say because The Rock is actually considered one of Michael Bay's better movies yeah, by a lot of that, people. And how sad is that? Well, that that's the good one. I, I find it somewhat entertaining. 
thing. I don't I don't have a lot of animosity towards it the way you do, but I think it speaks volumes about you that uh, at the time when most people tend to be more forgiving about films like The Rock, like mm. in their teen years. Yeah, I was 17. When, when, when you're just full of out. adolescent energy and you just want like a lot of mayhem and, mm. and explosions and like just, just macho bullshit. Uh, Whitney was like, nope. I'm out. This I washed is, my hands. Is, I, I'm you already finished. knew who you were. I, I was. I, you didn't. You didn't grow out of it. You were never into it. I, I, I came into the Rock fully formed, and I yeah. left just sort of understanding. Are there to go myself. any Michael Bay movies that you genuinely like? Uh, surprisingly, uh, there have been two of okay. two of his more recent films that I've actually kind of liked. Uh, he did that film Thirteen Hours, mm-hmm. which was a, a biographical film about the soldiers who uh, the soldiers who were present who at did, Benghazi. Yeah, yeah, the soldiers who did Benghazi, and um, it was a, about a thirteen-hour siege, hence the title. Yeah. And uh, the thing about Michael Bay's movies is that they tend to be very, very long, mm-hmm. and they're just stuffed with mayhem and noise and and just all this confusing action where you get a little bit of seasick and you feel really exhausted by the end. Yeah. And I feel like that quality played into the drama of 13 hours. Cause by yeah. the end, the soldiers are tired Yeah, and they're, they are a little shell shocked yeah. by the end of all of this and they're getting yeah. worn out. And so, so you getting that feeling, I think, Enhance that movie a little bit. I, I actually agree. There's this weird phase, and I want someone's going to write a book about this someday. I don't want to read it. Uh-huh. There's this weird phase from like the early 2010s to like the mid 2010s where January was U.S. propaganda movie month. Uh, that was and like yeah, Act of Valor. Act came of Valor out, kicked uh, it off. Uh, uh, we had Lone Survivor came out in January. Lone Survivor. Uh, uh, we had um, uh, American Sniper was American, huge around yeah. that time. I think it was uh, a Christmas release, but it like opened wide in January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people only saw it in January, but it was huge. It made a shit ton of money. Uh, and then 13 Hours came along and people were like, pass. Yeah. <laughs> but for whatever reason, Michael Bay, they were like, no, 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 that's not what we want. I'm like, really? It feels like this is exactly I, uh, what people are looking for. I, uh, but but, but this, even though it's part of that like sort of industrial war complex, it's actually a well-crafted movie if you mm. can get past that. Not that you have to, but yeah, it's actually and, uh, like one of his better directed films. I actually happen to agree on that. Also, uh, Michael Bay has always had a, a very powerful streak of you know, military fetishism yes. in all of his movies. Oh, and yeah. uh, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, for goodness sake. Yeah. Well, just all of them. Like, the military well, are huge in most of his movies. And the Transformers like, movies his, are yeah. weird about it because it's like, we're not here for the people. In those movies. And yeah, we're going to use them all as like this weird military recruitment video. Hey kids, do you like Josh Dumal? Because you're going to get a lot of him. He plays the soldier. Uh, (laughs) He did a movie called Pain and Gain, which I think played into sort of his personal interests really strongly. Clearly he's a big like Coen Brothers fan. He likes sort of crime movies. Yeah, you look at, I mentioned this before, uh, you look at a lot of his like Transformers movies. There's a lot of weird Coen Brothers-esque asides. Yeah, John Turturro, Francis McDormand, and John Malkovich all show up in these movies. Everything John Malkovich is part of in Transformers 3 Mm. is right out of a Coen Brothers joint. Here's a color-coordinated office building, and if if anything you own isn't yellow, you're in trouble. And he ends up like rolling around on his back while like a gigantic Transformer robot is like tickling his tummy with his giant robot finger. By Bumblebee. There's some weird <laughs> stuff in those movies. Those, those, I didn't see the first Transformers movies, but yeah. I've seen two, three, four, and five, and those Oof. things just make my brain bleed. Yeah, I fucking hate those movies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so yeah, Michael Bay and I don't get along. Uh, although yeah. he did do a film for 150 million dollars that was like sold off at a fire sale to Netflix. Oh yeah, Six Underground, Six Underground yeah, uh, yeah, with yeah. Ryan Reynolds. I still haven't seen that one. That actually. one kind of worked for me. I huh. feel like something about that setup and those types of characters huh. and there was enough like downtime in that movie to sort of recover from all of the the high, hmm. like wild action that goes out hmm. on otherwise. I feel like he 
in that film started to develop a sense of visual clarity when it came to his action movies. Because that's my biggest complaint about uh, Michael Bay's sort of action filmmaking mm-hmm. is he edits in such a way and there's so many like extreme close-ups that you never know where anybody is in relation to anything else. Just there's yeah. a lot of movement and noise a lot of on the cacophony. screen. Yeah. yeah. And, just orally and visually, I, the, and you're, you just get dizzy and see. There's something that he does in a lot of his movies. There'll be like all of this absolute, just chaotic madness occurring on screen and in the soundtrack, but then he'll slow it down for like one slow mo shot of like someone like screaming like in the air, the, the air, or yeah, yeah, whatever, like that, and then that's your break. Mm. That's your moment where all the and I was like, oh, I get what's happening here. That person's trying yeah. to catch a cube. Cool. Yeah. Now, I, now I'm now I'm oriented. Um, so you know, it's 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 yeah. a bit of a cliche to rag on Michael Bay. I apologize for feeding to the cliche. I don't like Michael Bay movies. Um, okay, well, not most anyway. Most of them. I, yeah. Yeah, I like I like Thirteen Hours. I like Six Underground. I I haven't seen either of the or any of the Bad Boys movies. I um, like Bad Boys One. I think a lot of people have called Bad Boys Two the ultimate Michael Bay movie, which mm. I think is probably fair. Right. But it's also the ultimate of the stuff I don't really like about Michael Bay movies. <laughs> Uh, and I, and but I, I think Bad Boys One is I think Bad Boys One is fine. I think Transformers One has some good stuff in it. All right, it's not great, but there's there's this one shot of like a whole bunch of fighter jets showing up to fight all the Transformers, right? Uh, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, but like okay, we're just yeah, we're just yeah. following the jets, and then one That's of the jets nice turns honey, into yeah. Starscream, uh, and Starscream like jumps on the other jets, and he's like boom, 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 and then he like jumps off again. He turns back into a jet, and he goes whoosh, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the one that was like the one thing in the first Transformers movie where I was just like yes that was cool <laughs> that was legitimately cool thank you for that <laughs> Starscream yeah. is my favorite but um I, 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 here's the purple one uh <laughs> But I'm really hit and miss on him, honestly. Yeah. I think I think mostly he doesn't make he very was, interesting films. Uh, Ambulance is is tanking at the box office. Not a lot yeah. of people are going to see Ambulance. It, yeah. it has a very bad ad campaign, but I'm not going to comment on sort of That's not our job. Yeah. Uh, and it's not good. It oh. you know, makes you just as seasick as anything else. There's a lot of wild action. And... Mm. But I do think that Ambulance is going to be cited in the future as a turning point in action cinema because uh, Michael Bay has uh, employed a series of camera drones mm. in, to film uh, Ambulance in oh. a way that you will you've never seen in a movie before. Okay, like there are shots uh, of Los Angeles where a camera zips up to a tall building, zips up the side, turns around, faces the ground, zips straight back down again, and goes back to the action. So it's Isoy Cuba as an action movie, more or less. Okay, uh, there there's a shot where they zipped a camera underneath a car as it's launching off of like a ramp, so it's flying through the air while the camera's soaring underneath it. I'm not gonna lie, that actually sounds cool. There's like shots where like the camera like zips through little tiny openings that the characters are crawling through and goes into big rooms and sort of follows them around, and there's like super fluid way. Huh. Um, now, Michael Bay is... You're making it sound like I really want to see well, this Well, Michael movie. Bay is one of the most graceless filmmakers you could ever hope uh, to meet. Just a... He, all, all of these things are presented incredibly bluntly. Uh, the fact that he's employing them at all is the revolutionary thing. Right. Uh, it's not that he's employing them very well. Uh, it doesn't make the action exciting. It just makes for a greater deal of movement. It's not graceful movement, it's not clever movement, it's mm. just more of it, and yeah. that's Michael Bay's metier. Uh, the plot of Ambulance, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II and Jake Gyllenhaal play brothers. Uh, Yahya okay. Abdul-Mateen uh, 
has he's in uh, financial dire straits because his wife is sick and he also has an infant child and okay he requires a lot of money uh he previously left the family behind to go fight in the war and he's back and now mm. he can't get a job so he goes to his brother who's Jake Gyllenhaal Jake Gyllenhaal is he like babysits cars for rich people and is also a master bank robber oh. uh, who we learn later in the movie is robbed why does like, he need to babysit banks. cars for rich people then? I don't know does he just know a lot of rich people and they, he just house sits for them because he's and their we, friend we learn that their father was like this insane bank robber dude who just like murdered all these people and robbed all these banks is, the, is he played by like someone really famous no he's not a, he's not in the movie oh come on you want to like you want to see like in the flashback that it's like Dwayne Johnson and then he like shows juicy, up in the last yeah. in the last scene or whatever mm. like that uh, okay. No, nothing like that. Damn. Uh, when uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen goes to ask for a job, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal says, well, why don't you join us? We're on our way to rob a bank. He's like, oh, well, what the heck? I'll rob a bank. And uh, <laughs> they go to a bank. They rob it. Uh, they uh, Everything, of course, goes a little bit awry at the bank robbery. They Their uh, getaway vehicle is compromised. Uh, they, they shoot a cop. Happened to be in the bank, and uh, and he starts bleeding out. He falls into a coma. Mm -hmm. They get him on an ambulance. Uh, Isaac Gonzalez, the world's greatest paramedic. Yes. (laughs) There's like a line of dialogue where one of her partners. They actually call the world's greatest paramedic. You're like the best paramedic in L.A. Oh come on! It's so much cooler if they're not. No, she's like the it's best. so much cooler if like if they've actually like you know oh like you still haven't caught the handle of this like you can't mm. handle the stress like that would have been so much more exciting. No, she she's the oh best paramedic God. in L.A. So she she has to keep the cop alive while Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen steal oh the ambulance God. and lead. How do you the, fuck that up? And lead the the police and the police are essentially the military. Yeah, they're just, well, it, it's actually LA. I mean, that yeah, actually it's, is, it's that's LA. actually about right. It's the LAPD. Yeah, yeah, they've got like tanks and machine guns and yeah. shit. It's, 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 seriously. <laughs> Defund the police. <laughs> they do not need all that shit. <laughs> Michael Bay isn't directing every day of our lives. They do not need all that shit. I saw uh, footage recently, and I think this was in Los Angeles, where uh-huh. uh, uh, climate scientists had chained themselves to a door. Four of them. Mm-hmm. Four climate scientists. And they hand them themselves to a door. Yeah. And they called in, like, 30 riot police. Yeah. Like, you need a cop. <laughs> you need one guy to walk up like, what's going on? Yeah. Come on. We're it's, not going. Come on. Come on. It's 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 lunchtime. Uh, okay, yeah. I'll buy you a Coke. Like, that's what you it's really like, need. I'm going to chain myself on. Okay, watch this. Kerchunk. When you like, have that it. much material, you're going to use it to solve every fucking problem. Yeah. And 99.9% of problems, mm. you don't need a tank. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, the, the bulk of the movie is a chase throughout Los Angeles. Okay. And of course, there's... How about bulk of it? Was it like a, a full hour? Like, it's like the... Like, the is one, it like speed where it like stops this, towards this the end? This movie is two hours and 20 minutes in length. Um, Why? Uh, well, we I need, assumed it we was a tight look. 80. No, this, this, and oh it's, my it's God. based, uh, Ambulance is based on a Danish film, I believe, yeah. which is a tight 80. And that is, this is an 80 yeah. minute kind of a premise yeah. where everything keeps moving really quickly. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bay for all of his movement, all of his explosions makes it drag. Uh, there's, they're always on the move, but then they have to slow down, that they have to stop. And then they have to mm. like the whole, there's a plot to switch ambulances well, and switch. Car it, like, chases don't typically last that long. No, no, no. And they really don't. <laughs> Have you ever seen a live car chase? Yeah. They don't last that long, especially not in a mm. in a in a urban area yeah. where and there's the, a lot of coverage and press coverage and helicopters around. Once there's a helicopter involved, you're done. That's it. I'm, That's the end of that. I'm also a little frustrated because I know Michael Bay is is a Los Angeles native. He was uh, born in L.A. Yeah, and, I went to school here at the Art Institute. I remember that. And uh, I almost went there, and I was I was debating going there, and they're like, uh, "Yeah, Michael Bay went here," and I'm like, "Cool, UCLA, it is." <laughs> <laughs> 
I went out of state. Uh, no, that's fine. You would think that he would have a, a good idea for LA's geography. Yeah. So they get off at this exit. They're in this neighborhood. They get on the freeway at this exit. They use this yeah. freeway. They get around town that way. Yeah, like speed is actually pretty good about LA geography yeah. for the most part. Yeah. None of that. Aww. They're on this side of downtown Los oh, Angeles. They're on, on that side of downtown. It, it is all around downtown. I appreciate it. It's not okay. like all of a sudden they're like in Santa Barbara Wait, or something. Are they, are they ever on the freeway or is they all like no, there's, surface there's, there's some freeway stuff. Okay. There's some uh, surface street stuff. There's a very, like, downtown... Hmm. Is a terrible is a terrible not, and great place. In downtown. Oh, see, yeah. that's the thing. They downtown can't chase is... around downtown because there's you can't get around downtown. That's my point. Downtown is the perfect place for a shitty car chase mm. because downtown LA is like it's kind of like New York in that there's a lot of one way streets and it's and just, they're always going in the direction you don't want. It's always wrong. <laughs> it's really confusing. Down. I've gotten lost in downtown LA mm. way more times than I'm willing to admit recently uh, <laughs> and i grew up here like that's a great place for a bad car chase and by bad i mean interesting it's like yeah, in well, the, like in the born identity uh, where they went out of their way to make sure the car chase was, was like a shitty car yeah like, yeah, like yeah. just just because it's more interesting if it's not a hot rod that's actually like souped up and can make hairpin turns i, I love the car chase in la sequence in the remake of the italian job oh yeah they, they had like a getaway driver and he's like really good at sneaking around and getting places really quick and so they say yeah we're gonna do this heist and we have to get from uh from la to the coast real fast so i need you to take your car and see how long it takes you and they think it's gonna be like 17 minutes and yeah. uh because theoretically and, it should be and there's a sh- and this while, while he's like rehearsing he's stuck in traffic he's like looking at his watch it's like clicking over hour and a half <laughs> he's looking up at a billboard 400 people have died of tobacco poisoning today <laughs> it's like he finally reports back how long did it take you it took me about two hours and 15 minutes <laughs> stuck in la traffic That's that was, LA it, was a, it, yeah. it was a cute little la joke la traffic sucks uh yeah there's no i i, I don't get a I sense wanna, of like la's character from I, this it's such a great opportunity though and they're they're racing through like the la river and there's some recognizable <sighs> landmarks like it it's clearly in L.A., but it, I don't know. I don't feel I like they're really trying to go this. through a lot of L.A. I saw a trailer or like a commercial, like something before, like a YouTube clip for this. And they were like, you know, we're driving through the L.A. River. That's why there's so much water. I'm like, there's no water in the L.A. River they're, they're, most of the time. When it when it rains, that, that river will fucking kill you. How often does it rain? <laughs> Look, once every three years, okay? Okay, I'm just saying, you picked the wrong day. The, the, reason, the reason they put it in concrete is because it was flooding and killing people and like tearing down houses and stuff. Right, I did a report on the LA River in the All eighth right, grade. Fine, 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 fine. I'm just saying it's not a common sight. But there's this little area right by the LA River called Frogtown, and that's where uh, the Three Stooges grew up. It's also the, where Rowdy Roddy Piper had to save. Oh, hell goes there. And, uh, yeah, in the Rowdy Roddy Piper movie. Yeah, and hell goes. That's to that's Frogtown. not Frogtown. In Los frog, Angeles, different Frogtown. That's post-apocalyptic frog people. Okay, that's frog like town. new Frogtown. Yes. Okay. We should move on. <laughs> it's like New Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- there is a really fun sequence in the middle of this where I feel like Michael Bay was finally just rolling with ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Um, the cop is bleeding out in the back. And uh, even though Isa uh, Gonzalez is the world's best paramedic, she can't find where he's bleeding from. Like, oh. well, where's that blood coming from? And it turns out there's like an, a wound she had forgotten to address. And uh, ah. and it looks like his spleen was about to rupture. So oh, she has to perform surgery. Now, she's a paramedic. She doesn't know how to perform surgery. Yeah, in it's fact, a lot. In fact, her backstory is she was going to med school and she burnt out because she got addicted to meth. And then she had to sort of okay. get, get clean and become a paramedic instead. Okay, cool. So she has to call old colleagues who did become doctors <laughs> on like a laptop <laughs> and hold the laptop up to the guy. 
Well, they cut him open and do surgery. Now you're talking. That's a yeah. great idea. And, okay. And he's like, oh, I don't know about this. Let's get a group call going. So it's like a bunch of doctors yeah. on the screen saying, oh, yeah, I got to do this. And and like she's pulling tubes out of this guy's oh abdomen. And it's like, okay, I got his spleen. Splat it. Ruptured. Oh, shit. Give me a hair clip. And she clips the guy's oh hair, my, like spleen shot with a hair find clip. A bobby pin. In yeah. an ambulance at this hour. Like, that one scene is pretty amazing. That sounds because awesome. It's, it's so unbelievably stupid crazy. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, it's stupid crazy in a bad way outside oh. of all of that. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is clearly having a lot of fun. He's yeah. just allowed to swing for the walls, and he can do crazy if you give him the chance. Yeah, he's one of the best at it. Uh, there's a, a another slow moment when uh, he and his brother are kind of bonding over their mutual love for the song Sailing by Christopher Cross, which is like one of the wussiest rock songs you've ever heard, because it's Wait, Christopher Cross. Is it, I'm sailing... Wait, that sticks. That's, yeah. Which one's That's sailing? Come Sail Away. Which one's sailing? Um, oh, I, I, can't, I can't really sing. I can't really hum that one. Uh, Can you do lyrics? What are the... Um, uh, you, you'd recognize it if you heard it. I'm gonna look it's, this it's up. From, from 1979. It was on. It was on the easy listening stations a lot when I was a kid. Sailing uh, Christopher Cross. Yeah. Okay, that came up really quick. Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> play, well, play, it's not far. Okay. Uh, well, it's not far down to paradise. At least it's not for me. And if the wind is right, you can sail away and find tranquility. Mm-hmm. Oh, the canvas can do miracles. Just you wait and see. Believe me. It's not far to never, never land. No reason to pretend. That is not a good rhyme. Uh, if, and if the wind is right, you can find the joy of innocence again. Again, your rhyme scheme is way mm-hmm. off. Uh, oh, the canvas can do miracles. You believe me. Sailing takes me away to where I want to always heard It was just a dream of when to carry me. Soon it will be. I do not know the song. You know, sailing. I, don't, I can't. Sailing <laughs> takes me away to where I've always heard it could be. <laughs> Just dream and the wind to carry me. Soon uh, I will be free. I assume I mean, that's if, how it goes. So there's there's plenty of scenes of Jake Gyllenhaal like hanging out the side of a an ambulance, like firing a machine gun up at a helicopter. You know that mm-hmm. kind of that kind of crazy. While singing stuff. sailing. Not, no, that's a different scene. What are you doing? <laughs> what are missing all the good stuff. Ah. Uh, uh, it, it's it's clunky and it's overblown and it's awful yeah. in all the ways Michael Bay uh, tends to shoot his movies. It's ugly as sin. Oh. I hate the way the movie looks. Why um, why why is that? He he doesn't know how to handle a camera. Michael Bay he hand, like he likes to zip it around like a lot of movement. Yeah, but he doesn't know how to frame up a shot where you can tell what's going on. He likes to keep the camera really 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 close to his actors. Like we get close ups of their like lips and their eyes a lot. Uh, I would like to see like a little bit of. Scenario, a little mise en scène, if you will. Okay. If you said if a, if you said mise en scène in front of Michael Bay, mm. he'd give you a look. If you said it with that tone, mise en scène, mise en scène, he would slap you. <laughs> Get off my set, <laughs> and I would carry that with me forever. What a what a, a badge of honor. What a badge. I would never wash that cheek again. Um. All right. So it doesn't look uh, like so, very good. No, it doesn't look. Like, any more? Any final mm, thoughts before we move on? I, I mean. I feel like you you kind of know if you're going to like a Michael Bay, because it's a Michael Bay. Yeah, there are definitely people for whom everything you said you don't like, everyone's going, that sounds like everything I want, and that's fair enough, that's a Mm. matter of taste. Again, I didn't see it. Mm. This sounds like the sort of thing that either could be my jam... Or drive me just up the wall as you did, depending yeah. on like it's it's a thin line basically yeah, between all of the, on paper it all sounds pretty fun. The, the, the scenario is fine. Yeah, the, even the characters are fine. The script is a little bit dumb. Uh, there's yeah. some plot twists involving like uh, you know Mexican drug cartels, you know, in that cliched kind of way, and you know yeah. cliched FBI agents are on their trail. Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
we get that scene where the FBI agent says, I, I, I'm here, I'm the Fed, I'm taking this over. No, I'm LAPD, you can't have my case. Well, not anymore, you're not, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, and who are we looking at? Well, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal, shades off. He was my friend. You know, like, <laughs> like those, those kinds of overblown, cliched moments, which you would think would be kind of fun, but Michael yeah. Bay has a way of making those things not fun. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, speaking of not fun, let's talk about the new spy movie? All the Old Knives. And by movie? Mm. But they, my voice going up at the end? I mean, I'm not sure it moves. Uh, this is a new oh. film on <laughs> like Prime the, Video. Yeah, I like this movie, all right. You like this one? Oh, uh, okay. no. I like it okay. I like it okay. Oh, no. It's not great, but I, I like it okay. All right, there's a new, this is a new film uh, from director uh, Janusz Metz. Uh, they did Borg McEnroe, the tennis movie, which I heard was good. I didn't see it. Uh, Charlie Buff was in that one. Uh, and uh, I haven't seen any... I, I, the rest of their filmographies I'm mostly unaware of, except they did one episode of True Detective, but it was from one of the seasons that nobody watched. Um, in any case, All the Old Knives uh, is uh, based on a spy novel. It's about two CIA operatives, played by Chris Pine and Tendiway Newton. Uh, they, uh, they used to be lovers... Uh, about eight about years eight, ago, eight, yeah, eight years earlier, and uh, their relationship fell apart uh, in a terrorist attack that went really badly. A yeah, bunch of I terrorists mean, we, took we over over the course of yeah. the movie. Just how badly uh, the, the terrorists took over an airplane and uh, their particular like CIA cell in Austria happened to be closest to it, so they were on point. They tried to get a bunch of intel and try to figure out how to save all the hostages lives it went really really badly and now eight years later they're doing an audit and chris pine is in charge of the audit and he is interviewing tentyway newton and jonathan price and everyone else who was involved to try to figure out was someone but not just not doing their job was someone potentially leaking information to, to the terrorists yeah uh which would be quite bad if that were the case and uh the majority of the movie is done in flashback structure as he reunites with Tendiway Newton uh, over dinner. Yeah. In a very Hitchcockian sort of way. We're like going to have dinner. It's going to be sexy. We're going to feed each other. Oh, God, is it going to be sexy? It should be sexy. Uh, and uh, then... Uh, I mean, we'll th th those two in a room together. Well, I mean, come on. Hey, that's good casting. I'm with yeah. you. I'm with you on paper. Again, that's a good idea. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then it's a bad... But is she the mole? Is he the mole? Mm. Is... The waiter, the they're, mole, who knows? They're catching up and they're sort of sizing up their affair, which ended kind of bitterly, and also sizing each other up in terms of mm. whether or not they're up to something spyish. Yeah. Is one of them an evil spy who yeah. must be killed? Who must be killed before the dessert course? More uh, or less. Which sounds way more witty and fun than I think the movie actually is. I, it's another one of those movies where it's actually got a good Hitchcockian setup. Two spies have dinner and they're trying to figure out who the mole is and someone's mm. going to be dead by the end of the meal and you don't know who. That's a good setup. Some, some good tension. That's, and that's solid. That's and, fun. And new details come in, into yeah. light as that scene yeah. goes on with all of the, at the, the dinner yeah. table. And then, but the problem is that in the, in the, okay, I like the setup just fine. I like the cast just fine. Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays their boss. Also awesome. Uh, and uh, then once we get down into the nitty gritty of the flashbacks, I lose all interest in this movie. Because we're hardly ever actually in the hostage situation, the point of actual intensity, where people's lives are actually at stake, and here are the people who, with whom maybe we could sympathize and empathize. Um, we're just trapped in an office with these characters 
as they talk about this crisis in a very academic fashion. Yeah, they're 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 the pencil pushers, and I, I guess, get that. The ones that making decisions, they're and not... that can be interesting. I yeah. want to make that abundantly clear. I am not saying this needs to be Casino Royale in order to be exciting or fun or enter, or engaging in some way. That's not the case. This is clearly not trying to be a big action movie. This is clearly trying to be uh, more in the Tinker Tailor soldier spy all business kind of sense with mm. maybe a little bit more sexual chemistry between the leads. Mm. Not a bad premise. I love Tinker Tailor soldier spy. Mm. I think I actually am a very, very fond of that kind of just uh, here's a great spy movie. No one talks about breach. It's just it is well, Ryan is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, Ryan Phillippe is like hired by uh, Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper at yeah. the CIA. He's like his personal assistant, and he begins to suspect that his boss may be leaking secrets to the Russians. And that's it. It's just I'm not sure if my boss is a spy or not. The movie, and they're constantly sizing each other up. Yeah, that's it. It's just Ryan. It's just Ryan Phillippe and Chris Cooper sizing each other up. That's all that happens in the film, and it's riveting. It's actually a really good film. Here. Because the actual stakes of this are so far removed from where we actually are, and because they're constantly trying to solve problems that are completely immediate but are also always off screen, I'm always at a loss here. I'm always just sort of well, removed this... from the action. I'm removed from their relationship. I, we never get to see them actually share anything intimate because they're trying to hide anything from each other. And it just feels like... We've got a good story here, but we've got the wrong perspective. We've got the wrong focus for me to yeah, really what, uh, find my way in and enjoy I, I was, it. I was reminded, and uh, and this film isn't nearly as skilled at this as Claire Denis, but I was reminded of a Claire Denis film. where Which one? Uh, well, any of them, really. Uh, okay. uh, Claire, Claire, Claire Denis <laughs> likes to make movies where... Uh, She's not going to give you a lot of information uh, right yeah. away. In fact, she won't even give you the whole story until like right near the end. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of scenes that are uh, out of context. And I think yeah. that's what this filmmaker is trying to do is give trying us a lot you, of things out of yeah, context. Make, and you make you want to catch up. We're, we're, we're given information that is pertinent to whatever the next phase in their conversation mm-hmm. is back in the present. So we flash back and we get a little more, a little piece of the, the story and then we get a, a deeper piece later on. So we're mm-hmm. actually not given the whole story of this a terrorist situation gone awry until near the end of the movie when we have like all of the details. And I appreciate that there, there's some, there there are things you don't want to reveal because there's twists and revelations and a mystery. There's a good way to keep it. And I, I do admire that the director managed to uh, keep things clear. I under, actually understood where people were and why they were doing things. Yeah, even, I, even when he was doing like flashbacks within flashbacks, I understood where everything was in the timeline. I wasn't confused. I just wasn't interested. Uh, well, I wasn't interested in the spy stuff. Okay. I feel like that was... Not because they're in offices. I think that's fine. I just mm-hmm. I think it's really cliche. Yeah. Uh, the terrorists are off-the-rack movie terrorists. Yeah, it they're not interesting per- people, yeah. It doesn't pertain to any kind of uh, modern politic. It doesn't pertain to... Yeah. Uh, anything beyond sort of movie, movie cliches. Yeah. Uh, so when they're dealing with this crisis, this terrorist crisis, it feels like something I've seen in, like, TV shows. Yeah, so it's like Passenger like, 57. Like, yeah, it's, it's like two, uh, 24 or two, whatever. Yeah, two yeah. separate episodes of 24 would have done yeah. something like this. Uh, had it had a little bit more like actual historical immediacy, maybe it would have had a little bit more heft, a little bit more flavor. Maybe. Because you could look up maybe the facts of a real case. Make yeah. a drama about that. I still think it's the movie's job to give you what you need in order to actually so. enjoy yourself. You shouldn't have to do additional what reading I, to, get, to get involved in it. I, I suppose not, but if, if you know that... Story, if you know a real, yeah. if it had been based on a real story, you would at least have some knowledge. Of Perhaps, that. 
what I did appreciate about this movie was the relationship between Chris Pine and Tendi Wynu. And, mm-hmm. and I think, I think they're both really, really great. Mm-hmm. I think they know how to sit down and have a conversation and make it, make you, make you, uh, the audience believe that they had a relationship prior to that scene. Yeah, no, they're good at that. Uh, they're good. And, they, they have a lot of natural chemistry with most yeah, of their leads. I, I, I feel yeah. like both of those actors are good at that too. Yeah. I've seen them in, in other movies too. Um, just sort of like immediately sort of sparkle toward their co-stars, yep. whether or not their co-stars were, were mm-hmm. joining them. And uh, we also get to see flashbacks as to sort of how intense their relationship was. And we get to see some sex. And uh, so we actually do understand that they had this really intense sexual adult relationship. Yeah. And now they're a little bit older. They both uh, they both look fantastic. They're dressed well, they, really, really well. They literally they, say... I mean, they look like Tendi Way Newton when they, Chris Pine, When they run into all. each other again, uh-huh. she's like, you you went gray, you look better. Yeah. And he's like, you still look like Tendi Way Newton, so you're still hot. Like, yeah. it's basically <laughs> like, they, they're still... They talk about how hot they are. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and they're sitting in this northern... I think they're in Salinas, California. No, they're in Carmel by the Sea. Carmel, they're in Carmel by the Sea. And they're drinking fine wines. Yes. And and they actually bother to say what's on the menu. And they yeah. actually point to the food and they eat it. And yeah. part of me is like, can we just have a movie of them enjoying a dinner? That's the thing. <laughs> the sun is going down. I'm watching the shades. Like All of the, that stuff is really good and authentic. I'm actually and more interested the in the framing atmosphere. device yeah, than I am yeah. in the meat of the story. I want to like see framing the, device. I want to see a one-act play <laughs> of Chris Pine and Tendiwe Newton. It opens with them. We don't know their relationship. You quickly come to realize that they're former lovers, also they're former spies. Also, one of them may have been the mole in a previous thing, and over the course of it, one of them may get arrested or killed that's interesting what a, what an exciting thing and with style and uh with attention to detail um you never know like if other people in the restaurant are maybe other cia agents or maybe they're bad guys or maybe it's just a coincidence that they're acting a little suspicious all of that stuff it's actually weirdly riveting and yeah. i was totally with it and then we just kept going back to like ah oh, but can we uh, can we have a uh an assault from the rear of the airplane. Well, we'd have to do all these things. Don't care. <laughs> Somehow you managed to, because there's no fucking consideration whatsoever for the actual people on board that plane. We never actually get that perspective. I get why. Well, the camera's I, on the plane. We do get to see them. We get to see them, the but we're not least. seeing it from their perspective. I think it is academic because we're only, we're seeing them, but we're not actually presenting them with care for their plight. It's all very matter of fact. Mm. And I think as a result, we get it. Of course we get it. There's, mm. there's a bad thing happening, but our hearts are supposed to be with these two ICCIA agents who are trying to run down uh, leads and talk to mysterious people and the movie by nature of the movie. And I atomic blind of this problem as well. I think um, because you never know which character or characters are double agents, triple agents, even who knows mm-hmm. we're only allowed to get so close to them. I think uh, the one of the, I think the thing holding Atomic Blonde back is this idea that oh no what if Charlize Theron is the bad guy so we can never really get into her inner world well, she's just on a, screen doing stuff there's a lot wrong with Atomic Blonde I that's actually agree great action sequences but I actually think the story is very poorly told and I think that's a big part of it is because they're holding so much back we can't get it really invested in mm-hmm. it and I feel the same way about this where I feel like if this movie had committed more fully to the idea that these two people were intimate and connected and sharing all their secrets 
and we got to be, be completely invested in their relationship and feel like we're a part of it, then if there was a portrayal to be had later on, it would only be more powerful mm. rather than it would feel like we're playing fair. I'm reminded of uh, Notorious, which is, I think, an, often not necessarily considered a spy movie, even though it totally is. <laughs> I think it's one of the best spy movies. And Notorious uh, stars Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. And Cary Grant plays a spy who is trying to uh, bring Ingrid Bergman into a very long con where she would marry a Nazi who had run for, on the after World War II uh, to South America. And uh, they knew each other in a previous life And he knows that he had a crush on her So he says I want to recruit you To marry him And figure out what they're up to So that we can put a stop to it Because we know they're doing bad things But in the process they fall in love And they have a very passionate love affair And so being with this other man Is destroying them And is more than just a job It's actually like a really emotional Grounded interesting thing Uh I mean, you're allowed to do that because you actually show their relationship. Here, everything has to be so... Uh, you, have to, you have to keep everything so removed in order to preserve this mystery that I'm not involved with the characters. I'm not actually involved with the plot, and mm. I don't even care about the mystery. I get what they're going for. Okay. I've seen worse. But I actually just don't think it's very interesting at all. And ultimately, I ended up just being kind of disappointed in it. And... It sucks because this is the kind of like mature kind of thriller that I would like to see more of. I just don't mm. think this is a good version of it. Well, I, I I agree with you that the spy sequences aren't terribly interesting, but I'm not I'm not so uh, moved to rancor as you seem to be. I, uh, I, rancor I, I, might be an exaggeration. I just yeah. I just I'm I'm bummed because you got two people with great mm. chemistry and then you kept them at arm's length from them from me. Oh, for so long, and I feel like I, I that's that's that, that's not using your material. Well. I think the bookend material is strong enough, and we get mm -hmm. enough of that texture through their interactions and through their performances mm -hmm. that it sort of buoys a lot of the the more bummer moments. I also do like the scenes where uh, Chris Pine is interrogating Jonathan Price. Those are good scenes. Jonathan Price is also an incredible actor. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne unfortunately has sort of fallen into the boss role in too many movies. Yeah, it's at least playing like, the exact same. Yeah, he, 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 he find a difference between this and like. Is Perry White in Superman? Yeah, like and Man of Steel. Like, like it's the same. He's doing like he's, the same thing. He has a lot of screen presence. He's yeah, very, you can play authority figures very well. Do it so well, but like, I, it's not I know role. he's capable of much more, and I'd you, love to see him do much. When more. When you see Lawrence Fishburne in this movie, and you see that he's the one who's like giving this assignment to Chris Pine, mm. my first thought is, oh, he's going to do something interesting because mm. you wouldn't get Lawrence Fishburne and just have him give out an assignment and then fuck off, and then it turns out. No, you do do that now. Well, That's just Lawrence, a thing people do. Lawrence Fishburne's in the whole movie, though. He's throughout. We get but he's not doing out. anything. He's, well, he's doing the Lawrence Fishburne role is yeah. what he's doing. He's, does, he's just standing at the end of a table. Like, that's mm -hmm. it. He doesn't actually have any real engagement here. There's no... Here's the thing. There's at no point does anyone question whether Lawrence Fishburne might be the mole. They mm -hmm. question literally everyone else in the movie. <laughs> they never question, what if you it's Lawrence why? Fishburne? Casting Lawrence Fishburne was a clever way of deflecting that. Perhaps, but it's weird that never Lawrence comes up. Fishburne is not, you know, he's not playing a suspicious character. He's playing I get the authority it. figure. I get it, but there's only eight people in the room, mm -hmm. and it's got to be one of them, and we don't even and consider I, one of them for a second. I feel like Jonathan Price could have played that role, but Jonathan Price can also play these kind of like sniveling, kind of pathetic characters yeah, as well. Yeah, he does it really well. Yeah. Uh, he's and, good in this. I like, and, I like yeah, Jonathan really, Price. It's really, really great. The, yeah. the bit where Chris Pine sort of has his number and he realizes just kind of, kind of how screwed mm -hmm. he is in, mm -hmm. in certain scenes, he's really great. He kind of like yeah. cows a lot. 
I just, price is really excellent. The, the performances yeah. are pretty good. The only thing that I think where I think it uh, suffers is the creativity of the actual spy dilemma. Yeah. And as it turns out, the crux of the drama is not what happens in that spy dilemma. It's mm. just frustrating that they kind of had to obfuscate it throughout most of the movie. They said they're trying to obfuscate yeah. it. They're trying to make all of this like th- th- the whole plot is a MacGuffin. The mm. terrorist stuff is a MacGuffin. Well, the terrorist stuff is backstory to the dinner scene. But exactly my point, though, is like that backstory could have been mm. anything intense. It didn't need to be this terrorist plot. It's like it just had to be something where people died. That's yeah. it. And it's just it's it's just taking up space and it's taking up so much space because they decided to make the thing that is driving the action so big and so it's just the elephant in the room. It has to constantly be addressed. But it's the thing I care least about mm. because I'm more interested in the relationships between these characters. I'm interested in the relationship between uh, Tendi Wade Newton and Jonathan Price. He's her boss. Yeah. He's not, they're not lovers, they're just boss. I'm more interested in them when they talk to each other on the phone than I am about the peril. And I think that's a miscalculation. Uh, I think the focus of this movie is way off. I, I, like, right. I like it in fits and starts. I think the cast is well-assembled. Uh, I think casting Chris Pine as this sort of um, middle-aged Cary Grant type Mm. Where your suaveness just isn't working the way it used to, and maybe you can't coast well, on charm anymore. Well, is actually Pine like is, is yeah, I think it's I good think, for him. I think actually. he does it really kind of masterfully. I agree. This, I think he's good here. It's like former playboy who like yeah. is is still because he still looks like Chris Pine. Yeah, he's still super handsome, but you can tell he's a little tired. Yeah, he's he's that, mm. he's wearing that well. He reminded me of um, if they remade To Catch a Thief. He'd be good in the Cary Grant role. That kind of like, I was the dashing, daring guy, man of action for a long time, and I could still do it if I wanted to, but I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I want to go hang out on a beach. Mm. That's what I want. Like, I buy that from Chris Pine. I buy that slight weariness of being dashing, yeah. whether it's, whether that's a meta commentary on his career or not, I don't know, or care, honestly. Mm. I, like, I like Chris Pine. I think he's a fun actor. Teddy Wayne is a great actor. Genuinely, mm. capital G, great. Um, yeah, this movie just didn't do it for me. Okay. Oh, well, right. I think I've explained why. We can move on. Um, let's talk about a film that I saw and you didn't. Uh, this is a new film that was written and directed by Mayim Bialik, who uh, was on The Big Bang Theory, which I really didn't watch because what little I saw I didn't care for. Uh, and now they're the host of Jeopardy, or one of the hosts of Jeopardy. I, they, I think they, she's they the, split the duties, right? I, I think she's the... M- like the weekend host, or maybe that she finally did just sign on to be the main host. Okay. Like they were going to have her like switch off with maybe Ken Jennings or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think she's yeah hosting Jeopardy these days. All I know is that and her first acting gig was in the movie Pumpkinhead and Pumpkinhead Rules. She's been acting since she was a young girl. Yeah. Uh, she was she in had, Blossom. Yeah, she was you a, might recall she her as a hit sitcom Blossom. as a teenager. Yeah, she yeah. was a title character. Uh, yeah, she got a gig on The Big Bang Theory, which I never watched, but it was a big hit it was show. A huge hit show. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can't now, pretend. Now she's hosting like the game show, like the yeah. the, the best game show, and uh, yeah, looks like she's yeah. directing now. And she's directing has, now. Has, has, has she directed before? Is this this is her first director? Uh, I think I don't. Maybe she'd done television. Let me double check. Okay. Uh, she had done a short film in 2019, but this is her first uh, feature. Okay. And you never done. You never. They didn't, it wasn't like they let her direct an episode of Big Bang. Like they sometimes let an actor direct yeah, an episode yeah. just for fun. But like, no, they didn't do that. Apparently, uh, this is a film called As They Made Us. Um, I don't know if it's autobiographical, but it feels like it's got an autobiographical quality to mm-hmm. it. It feels uh, 
Uh, like it's coming from a place of experience. Uh, the film stalls. Uh, stalls. Stalls. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, the film stars Diana Agron uh, as uh, a divorced mom uh, whose ex-husband is walking all over her. Her kids are walking all over her. And we quickly find out that her parents, played by Dustin Hoffman and Candace Bergen, are also walking all over her, but in interesting ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Growing up with her brother, who as an adult is played by Simon Hilberg, also from The Big Bang Theory, uh we see in flashbacks that both Dustin Hoffman and Candace Bergen were emotionally abusive constantly. Oh gosh. And uh, Dustin Hoffman was at least occasionally physically abusive and that he would hit his kids. Uh, All right. Nowadays, however, they're adults. They have been actually diagnosed. Mm. Uh, Dad, it turns out has been bipolar his whole life and their mother has borderline personality uh, disorder or syndrome. One of those. Mm. Um, so they both have like a lot of serious mental health issues that were never addressed and led to a bunch of actual serious problems with their kids. Uh, but making things more complicated now is that Dustin Hoffman has been diagnosed with a degenerative disease and he's dying mm-hmm. and he is gradually becoming uh, weaker, more infirm, uh, less mentally alert. Uh, and Candace Bergen, uh, who struggles to maintain any kind of meaningful relationship is not being the best caregiver for him. She, it's not like she doesn't love him, but it's like, yeah, he fell down trying to get to his chair. He's fine. He's been happy there for two hours. And Danny Agron's like, no, you have to pick him up. What are you doing? <laughs> so she has to like put all of her bullshit with her parents aside in order to give them what they need. Dad is dying. Mom is actually struggling with you know losing mm. a spouse. And they're not dealing very well with live-in care because they're both emotionally abusive people. And Diane Agron is basically letting everyone walk all over her so she can be everything everyone needs. And that's a very emotionally perilous situation. Meanwhile, uh, now once she realizes that Dad is never going to get any better, and it's only a matter of weeks or months before uh, Dad passes away, they have to. Uh, she finds herself in a position to talk to her brother again, who is estranged and hasn't talked to his parents in 20 years. And uh, will he come in and say goodbye to his dad? And without... Uh, there's not much happens in this movie, so I'll preserve this. His answer is interesting and not mm-hmm. what I expected. Um, and I think they go in an interesting place with it. Um, this is a movie that... It's a cliche to say this, but I think it usually holds... Not usually. It holds true more often than one might think. Um Actors, when they make their directorial debut, often make acting showcase movies. Yeah, character-based pieces. Yeah, movies that are that give their them and or their fellow actors an opportunity to really delve into their characters, have meaty, emotional scenes together. They're not necessarily about exciting plot lines. They're about uh, human relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is no exception. Uh, at its best... This movie's actually really good at that. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is so frail mm. in this movie that it's actually rather shocking to suddenly see him in the flashbacks when he's actually still really vital and has a lot of energy. There's a moment where you're like, is he acting? Is Dustin Hoffman okay? And then you realize, no, he's acting, and he's just really, really good at it. Like, <laughs> oh, shit. And then Candace Bergen. Candace Bergen steals this whole fucking movie from Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> She's fantastic in this movie. She's actually like she creates a lot her of in a movie in a little bit. It's been yeah. a bit. She was in that they did that reboot of Murphy Brown, which I heard was good, but nobody watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, Candace Bergen, uh, she plays a woman who uh, pushes everyone away. And it's part of her uh, personality. It's part of her mental health issue. And uh, and yet, she's losing the only person she's she's lived with, cared about for like probably better part of like uh, half a century. Hmm. Uh, and we see her fragility in these fits and starts, and then she has to immediately click back on and put up a defensive shield and try to find some way to exert power and authority over other people to make herself feel safer, stronger, Hmm. even though she's losing something very, very important to her. And that is such a complicated performance to try to play someone like this. And any person you knew who had a family member like this, you would tell them you need to not be around them very much. They're, they're toxic. They're, they're Mm. hurting you. And yet over the course of this movie, you get her and you understand her so well that, yeah, if they were in your life, you might not want to be around them very much, but you would understand why Diana Agron, despite everything that she's been through, loves these people. And that's really hard to do. Mm. And we're going to give this movie some credit for that. What I can't give it some credit for is just some basic amateurish direction, which is really frustrating. Oh, but right. it, it's her first movie, so like well, yeah, you're going to cut say, some slack. How, but like it's there's like how, how amateurish are we talking here? It's not like mostly it's competent. Uh, the movie looks okay, uh, but there's just these weird moments. Uh, for one thing, uh, the uh, the flashback sequences, mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman's makeup is completely unconvincing. Oh. Now, I realize you don't have like a Marvel CGI de aging effects, but makeup effects can be more effective than this. And okay. that's the, maybe it was a budgetary issue. Uh, maybe they thought they would do a better job of hiding it through like shadowy cinematography, which is what a lot of the flashbacks are in. Mm. Uh, but doesn't come across. It's actually very unconvincing. It just looks like he's wearing bad makeup and a wig. Uh, so that's frustrating. There's also some bits where it just feels like they didn't have the coverage that they needed. Uh, coverage is what you call it in a movie where uh, you feel, you take a scene. Here's a scene where two people are talking in a driveway. Uh, every single angle you shoot that scene from, close-up, two-shot, wide-shot, exterior for an establishing shot, close-up of someone's hands, whatever. Every single shot you get in order to tell the story of that scene is called coverage. Mm. You have covered the scene using all these angles. Yeah. Um, there's a scene, for example, where uh, Diana Agron goes to see Simon Helberg. And they're, they're standing, and the geography is very clear. They're clearly about... 30 yards away from each other, 20 maybe. Uh, and she's looking at him and she's telling like her kids, oh, that's your uncle. And she says, oh no, he's coming over. Uh, he isn't actually. He, by the time she says he's coming over, he's only just noticed her and he's, would the process of walking oh, over like, would like take a little, a, little bit would, of an editing would, would take like 15 there, seconds. Okay. And then when we cut back to them, he's right next to them. And it just, it, it, I don't know if it's a matter of we didn't get the shot or we had to cut something or whatever and we're hiding it. But it's a thing that just is not clean. Like it's clearly, yeah. this is, I don't think anyone was probably happy with how that turned out, but this is what they had to work with. Um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this kind of thing that maybe a lot of people wouldn't even notice. And that's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's not those, as polished a production little, as one would, would like. Those little kinds of details can distract. They distract mm. and they add up when there's more than one of them. And even mm. one can be really distracting. So that's not to the film's credit. It doesn't... Unfortunately, I feel like the big moment in the movie where uh, Diana Agron gets her shit together and finally like 
at the end of the movie, it seems like she's come to some realization that she needs to take more charge of her own life. And mm. she's uh, handling people in her life better. And she's not letting her ex-husband walk all over her. And she's had a better relationship with her mom and everything. Uh, but her big change happens off camera in the six months later title card. Oh, which is no. which is which also sucks. Like yeah. that's not good storytelling. It doesn't really. It's not satisfying at all. Um, at its best, it's got really good relationship stuff. I actually think Simon Helberg is weirdly good casting for Dustin Hoffman's son. Like they actually like match each other's like energy really really well. And well, like, you if can you, see you them. Grow up watching Dustin yeah. Hoffman, you probably can do a pretty a pretty good Dustin Hoffman. Well, just generally speaking, point. I think Simon Helberg is a somewhat under underappreciated under actor. I think he's really really good in this, and he's holding his own with a really solid cast. Dinah Agron has a really thankless role because mm-hmm. it's a role where you don't get to express a lot of your own agency. It can be really, really hard to stand out in a movie like this, especially with a big ensemble cast, when you're the person everyone else kind of abuses, yeah. whether they mean to or not. Um, and I want to give her some credit because I think she she wears that well, and that's a hard role to pull off. Uh, Dustin Hoffman's very, very good. Candace Bergen's very, very good. The performances are all really, really solid. The movie itself, a little amateurish, but the performances are this good. I can only complain so much. Mm. So there you go. It's a bit of a mixed bag. And then lastly, there's a new film on Netflix that I didn't get to see. You did. I, for some reason, thought this was a TV show, so oh. I didn't watch it. <laughs> okay. I would have, because it looked it looked amusing to uh, me, but tell me about Metal Lords. Uh, Metal Lords. It's about uh, two uh, teenage friends. Uh, they're played by uh, Jaden Martell, who is one of the kids from It. Okay. Uh, and he was uh, the kid from Midnight Special. He's been around for a while. And, um, and uh, Adrian Greensmith. Mm. And I think this is his first feature film, Adrian Greensmith. Adrian Greensmith plays the uh, sort of rich, snotty kid in school. And he has dreams of starting a metal band. Now, this is 2022. So he's clearly learned a lot of uh, musical cues from his Gen X parents. Mm. Uh, I don't know what the modern metal scene is like. But this guy's into the old stuff. He listens to Iron Maiden, listens to Anthrax. Um <laughs> uh, uh, there's cameos from members of uh, you know, Tom Morello's in it, and uh, one of the guys from Metallica's in it, and one of the guys from Judas Priest is in it. Uh, and he wants to start a metal band. Uh, he plays guitar pretty well. Uh, and his best friend, the uh, Jaden Martell character, his name is Kevin, uh, can kind of play drums a little bit. Okay. It turns out he is a little bit of a prodigy because when he finally listens to War Pigs, he kind of figures it out. Okay. You know, you know, you know, yeah. Yeah, I War Pigs. Evil minds at plot destruction. One of the great masterpieces of metal. Yes. Yeah. He listens to that a couple times and he just sort of figures it out. Uh, in drumming at school and rehearsing, he also attracts the attention of a young woman. Uh, her name is Emily. She's played by an actress named Isis Hainsworth. And she plays cello, and they kind of bond over their mutual talent. Uh, and she actually figures out how to play War Pigs on the cello. Okay. And there's a really great duet of her playing War Pigs on the cello. People like War Pigs. Um, Kevin says, hey, why doesn't she join the band? Is it just the two of us? He says, yes, man. And the first half of this movie really coasts on a lot of cliches. Okay. Boy meets girl kind of cliches. Uh, the main character is a little bit too much like Jack Black from School of Rock and that he lives mm. by the code of rock and roll and wants purity, man, and is talking about how cool metal is. Right. Um, there's a cute bit where uh, he uses um, a, a bit of a slur where uh, 
he says we can't have a woman in the band because and he and he says this he says that's, that's a little gay and and they look at him and they lean in and they say they look around at all the posters and it's all these like naked guys with the big hair yeah. metal's pretty queer uh, yeah. and and he says well okay have me there like he does like they just okay, it's a at, learning moment yeah it's a learning moment okay like, fine, like, he, fine. Look, he okay, looks around it's... a little bit he's like okay you, you got me like he, okay. he actually like he says it and then he kind of backs off like immediately okay. I, so I appreciate it's a, that it's, it's a, a good, learning moment okay. it's a learning moment they okay. don't just sort of let it hang like, okay like, that would be worse okay uh, but you know, they start to come to blows over the fact that uh, Kevin is dating uh, dating somebody new and mm. he is now um, kind of distracted from this band and of course what's coming up the battle of the bands they're gonna play. Uh, with Everyone their always band. has a. Ba- I've never seen a battle of the bands here's, in my life. Here's the cute thing about this movie: they say there's a battle of the bands coming up, and they're like, "Really? What? Yeah, they haven't had one for like 15 years, but they have one this year." <laughs> <laughs> they okay. actually say that. At least we dra- like it's this moribund. We're hanging a lantern yeah, on that. Okay. A little bit. They they, lamp- they lampshade that one a little bit. Okay, fair enough. I'll let uh, it go. <laughs> But that's really cute. And they have to get ready for this battle of the bands. The name of their band, by the way, is Skullfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, they're not allowed to say Skullfucker when they got on stage. So, like, the, the guidance counselor of the school says, no, you can't do that. It's like, but it's painted on our drum head. You can't bring the drum out then. Well, you need the drum. It's our drum. <laughs> Fine. Get me some paint. And they changed the name of the band to Skullflower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Skull, like... Fudger? Yeah. Skullflower is Skullfinger. I don't know. Skullflower is cute. Skullflower is actually really cute. And they've written one song. It's called Machinery of Torment. They're going to sing Machinery of Torment at Battle of the Bands. It's adorable. These these little kids who just love to, they love metal and they want to get into metal. And all of that's functional enough. It's not until about halfway through the movie that we actually start to get to know characters a little bit better as individuals, where they kind of emerge from being a little bit uh, more than just teen cliches. Right. Because uh, the Kevin character actually does grow up a little bit. He actually learns how to drum a little bit. He l- understands music a little bit more and starts to uh, understand that he knows more about musicianship than uh, the main characters. Uh, the character is named Hunter. Uh, Hunter's all about the philosophy and you know, the look of it and mm-hmm. the attitude of metal. And it's all his idea. And he's a, a fine guitar player, but he doesn't really seem to understand being a little bit more pliable. Yeah. And uh, halfway through the movie, um, Kevin and Emily uh, start, they start dating and they start sleeping together. Oh, wow. Uh, it's actually very frank about their sexuality and how they they are being sexual with one another. And it's very incidental. Hmm. I really appreciate that in teen movies where it's not treated as like this big, this is the most important thing like, in your whole life. Losing your virginity moment. Like they, they just do it in a van once because they want to and then they're fine. Right. <laughs> they just sort of move forward after that. Um, there was a moment like that in uh, the movie Neighbors 2, if you recall, if you oh, ever yeah. saw Neighbors 2. Yeah. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz is in that movie as the head of a sorority. And uh, th- during a montage, they throw her a party because she had sex for the first time. It's like, yay, you had sex for the first time. Have a party. We don't know who it was. There's nothing leading up to it. It's mm-hmm. completely incidental. It's just sex it, positive. It's it's Yeah, I appreciate that kind of sex positivity yeah. rather than yeah. trying to tie in all of these neuroses about purity. Well, there's, there's so many different um, attitudes mm. about adolescence and the sort of the rites of passage yeah. of adolescence that... And, and having sex is a pretty big step for a is, lot of people. It uh, is. There's uh, no yeah. denying it. And people get, it gets built up a lot. Mm. But I feel like certain specific attitudes about what people are concerned about in high school or what's important in high school 
are are more grandfathered in through the movies we watch than they are actually relevant. Yeah. So I, I, when I remember when I was in high school, and I was in high school in the nineties, and every movie, you know, she's all that. Mm-hmm. Every movie uh, was all about how prom. Yeah, prom is a this big, the big deal. Event, yeah. You know what? You know what? Twilight. You, you know what? You know what? People that. in my school didn't give a shit about prom. <laughs> we went. It was a party. We were going to go to the party. We were going to get dressed up because it was an opportunity to do so. But it wasn't a monumental event. It wasn't my location. I don't careers. know anyone in my high school who had their big moment at prom, mm-hmm. who made an important memory at prom, who lost their virginity at prom, or did so in a way that where prom was actually important to it. Like mm-hmm. it was basically just. Another school dance. Nobody gave a shit. Yeah. It, yeah. And I'm, again, your mileage is going to vary. Different schools have different cultures, different towns, different communities. Mm-hmm. Your mileage will vary. But movies have been telling us certain things are specifically important for a really long time. And reality will tell you a very different story if you mm-hmm. let it. So I'm happy I, to uh, move on. I, I haven't seen any movies really that reflected my school experience, any throughout any of my school. Um, I remember there have been a couple um, like I, I saw a movie and it's it's a completely forgettable film called Abandon. Uh, it had uh, oh, Kate, yeah. Katie Holmes. It came out in like 2000. Stephen and, uh, Gagan film, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 And you know, tense sort of thriller kind of genre, mm-hmm. missing people kind of movie. And um, yeah. I, I don't recall a lot of the details. But what I recall about the movie is that study was important to the characters. Yeah. And they're actually seen in libraries a lot. And we learn like a little bit about what they're doing in the library and what they're studying. Because that's what college is. It's all mm-hmm. about studying and learning. At least that's how it was for me. And sure. I feel like that was, it wasn't just about going to the wild frat parties or, um, yeah. or you know, getting drunk or having new experiences. I'm, it was actually about study. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen... A movie about high school that actually mm. seemed to reflect my high school experience. I've seen a few that have finally been able to get the elementary school experience. There's a really good sitcom right now called Abbott Elementary, okay. which was clearly made by people who knew teachers, okay, uh, or knew the education system and understand. I mean, it's a it's a joke, and parts of it are some of it are more accurate than mm. others. Uh, but um, that's that's clearly made with a lot of affection by people who actually understand what teachers mm. go through hey, at public uh, school. So. I've seen that, but I don't know if I've ever seen yeah. a high school one that actually reflected my high school. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that. There's a, a funny bit where uh, Weird. where Hunter has to give uh, like a book report, and it's all, of, of course, seen through like the, the filter of metal, and he's brought in his mm-hmm. Marshall Stacks, he's got his flying V, and he's playing guitar in class. He's talking about, man, I'm, let me tell you a little bit about Ulysses, if you know about Ulysses. You know, uh, Melville wrote about Ulysses. Like, he's getting all his facts wrong. But he's, you know, playing his guitar and essentially just sort of zeroing in on uh, on the Emily character, saying, you're, you're breaking up our band. He's actually a, a bit of a dick. We get to see a lot of his home life about how, because he's so rich and his divorced dad is, like, kind of absent a lot. He's, mm-hmm. His dad is a plastic surgeon. Uh, he's just sort of, like, left to his own devices where he gets into trouble and steals stuff. And he's, like, clearly developing this kind of, like, really tense relationship with his own dad. Uh, and yeah, as the film goes on, we kind of get to know these characters a little bit later, a little bit better. So when they finally do get to the Battle of the Bands, it does feel like this sort of transformative moment rather than something that's a little bit more of all the cliches pushing okay. us toward the inevitable conclusion. You make it sound like a weird hybrid of Sing Street and We Are the Best. There's a, an element of We Are the Best to this. Um, we Are the Best is not a great movie, nearly, by the way. It's not nearly as charming as We Are the Best. Nothing is. We yeah. Are the Best is a Lucas Moodyson film. About uh, three 12-year-old girls, uh, two 12-year-olds and one 13-year-old, the older girl, and they want to start a punk band. They're so punk, the band isn't even ever given a name. Mm -hmm. 
And, and, uh, that, and they write they write one song because they want to like stick it to the man. They want to sort of yeah. communicate how much they're unhappy and their home lives aren't the best and they're kind of neglected. Yeah. But they're, they're also not blues. they're also not like really going through like the worst stuff imaginable. Yeah, so, so they really can't think of anything the only really thing profound they, to rebel against. The uh, the the one uh, like bit of the establishment they need to rebel against and we are the best is gym class. They hate gym class, so they write a song about how much they hate gym class. <laughs> it's called "Hate the Sport." <laughs> And I, I feel the same way about uh, Machinery of Torment. It's like, okay, this is clearly not coming from, like, a genuine place of angst. This is clearly being written by uh, some kid who listened to their dad's metal records. I mm. uh, thought they seemed cool. And thought they seemed cool. Yeah, uh, what, yeah. And I appreciate that they're... What's happening is, and this is the really curious sort of intergenerational thing that's happening with Metal Lords, is... These kids are taking the music of, like, two generations ago. Yeah, metal kind of peaked in like yeah. the late 80s early 90s well uh, you know kurt, kurt cobain kind of like kicked the coffin shut on metal like it that, still it, continued to linger peaked a little is bit, probably but, not uh, the right word for it but it really kind of like petered out in the public eye it stopped being like a mm, mainstream yeah you know except for metallica maybe like oh, the, no, the, no one's really selling a lot the, of uh, the, the black album was one of the yeah. biggest best records ever and then yeah, yeah and, kind, and of, kind, of, kind of kind of stopped that same year yeah uh so, so yeah, heavy metal <clears throat> as a as a mainstream <clears throat> Uh, uh, something a that cultural presence. As a, yeah, yeah. As a cult, something that pushes the culture like forward in specific mm. directions. It's not really that yeah. right now. So is I, it? I feel like so this is like a throwback movie. This would be yeah. like if we watched a movie in the '90s about uh, like uh, some high school kids who wanted to start their own like disco group. Yeah, like which the, would be yeah. very charming, actually. It, it, yeah, so yeah. it's it, that it's a little bit out of fashion shows that these kids are actually kind of outsiders. Yeah, and finding your own niche on the outside is something that I haven't seen in movies for a while. That's yeah. actually something that you saw a lot in the nineties uh, when metal was first big, you know, kind of find finding a group of weirdos you could bond with that was not part of the mainstream. I feel like we have a, a whole generation of movies about finding, Oh, finding acceptance in the mainstream. Yeah. And having you know, sort of declaring yourself to the mainstream, I am here and I deserve to be part of this. And it's all about sort of joining that joining that group and the, 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 that big yeah. uh, cultural push. And this is another movie about sort of separating off, mm. going into the past, finding something deliberately ugly and aggressive, mm-hmm. metal, and finding a, lot, a great deal of comfort in that. Sounds fun. And uh, yeah, and, and Machinery of Torment is a fun song. Very, very sweet. And like I said, uh, there's a moment when uh, the, the main character, Kevin, has like a little moment of doubt. And he has some spiritual visitors in the form of the guy from Anthrax. And the guy from Judas Priest. And okay. the guy from Metallica. You I mean like Judas Priest? His, his name is not Judas Priest. His name was Judas Priest. No. You can't just call yourself that enough. You gotta there's legally change your name. There's not Judas a person Priest. named Judas Priest. I, if I was in the band Judas Priest, I would change my name to Judas Priest. <laughs> I don't care if I'm just like the guy who does the triangle at the end it's of one a, song. I'd be like, if I change my name to Judas Priest, then I own this band. I become the fucking front man for this band because I am Judas Priest. Who is Judas Priest? Not y'all. Me. <laughs> I also named myself Duran Duran. It's Rob Halford from Judas Priest is go. in this movie. Uh, Scott, okay. Scott Ian from Anthrax, okay. Tom Morello, and Kurt Hammett, Kirk Hammett from, uh, from Metallica. All of those are cool uh, they, people. They, they, they all, they all just sort of like 
appear and they start like bickering over what Kevin should do next. Like, what what are, <laughs> what are you doing there, man? Shouldn't you be like out doing you know other plot points? Like, no, no, actually, he's young. He should be doing this plot point. No, he should be doing that other plot. Like, they're they start yeah. arguing with each other, and it's That's funny. It's, it's kind of funny. I'm down with that. Cool. Well, these, I mean, these are all old guys. They're all like in their sixties now. I like that. That's fine. Yeah, I, I like that. But right. yeah, I, I do appreciate that this is kind of representative of a new, or, or I guess it is a throwback of a kind of teen movie, mm-hmm. of finding finding your tribe, mm-hmm. finding your tribe in heavy metal, and it reinforces this idea that when you're into now heavy metal was a really unbelievably sexist form. Mostly uh, yes, yeah. There, there aren't a lot of women in metal. It's, it's mostly a man's mm. game. Lita Ford, uh, Lita Ford. Credit where credit is due. Girl school. Yeah. Wendy Williams. Yeah. Name ten more. You can, I, I'm yeah, just saying. I'm like... just saying. I'm just saying. If you want to get picky, yes, there are some very <laughs> significant women in the. Form absolutely, of metal. absolutely, there are. But, but typically it's, speaking, it's, it's, it's considered a male-dominated and very male sexist yeah. um, uh, genre of music so it, overall, at least in practice. It, it wasn't you know all you know. Cheeks and roses, but it was uh, uh, there. There's something about metal fans that I think uh, you know. A film like Wayne's World kind of exploded. That they're all aggressive, horrible people. No, a lot of people who listen to metal were just nice guys. Yeah, or people uh, like people like the yeah. music that they like. Doesn't mean that they live and the a, ethos and a lot of, of that yeah, music. And a lot of the people in the bands also yeah. tend well sometimes tend to be good, good people. Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes I, they're also dicks. But, I like uh, I, I like the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't spend all my time at the beach. <laughs> I don't have to do that. I can just enjoy beach music. My point being, there's all these like yeah. really dark songs about death and murder and war, yeah. and the people who listen to them tend to be pretty laid back people. Yeah, uh, Joe Manganiello is in this movie, and he plays a, a, like a former metalhead, and uh, he's like, yeah, total like cool laid back guy. Nice. He's like, no, you're playing with the wrong pick, man. Oh, thank you, Joe Man- Manganiello. Nice. Uh, I would rather hang out with sort of these like laid back fun metal kids are writing mach- like songs like machinery of torment and trying to master the drum on uh, uh war pigs yeah then some of the much more aggressive like disney fans mm. that's the weird you know i'm thinking of like fandoms and the way well, they move we're actually at the point now where like we've talked lots of has talked about this mm. where uh, you can't really have counterculture unless there's a culture to be counter to yeah and, and a lot of things that used to be counterculture became very very mainstream and we're looking some of us, anyway, mm. are looking for where's where's the counterculture going to come yeah. in? Where the people yeah, are going to say? So where the people going to say, "Hey, fuck Star Wars. We're more interested in this other stuff." Mm. And they actually start like kind of like a young movement to actually like make not caring about the mainstream stuff as much anyway mm. cool again. Well, and and that's out there. All of that that sort of counterculture just, is out there. But and like I think the, the Metal the, Lords yeah. is a little bit of proof of that. That that's people point, are yeah. fleeing into the past to find the counterculture. Yeah, the counterculture of a previous generation. But still counterculture. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they're sort of fighting it, and uh, the, the in the Battle of the Bands, there's another band, and they uh, sing songs like um, uh, "Believer," like "Imagine Dragons," like that kind uh-huh. of stuff, and that is like antithetical to metal to them. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, anyway, we need to move on. Uh, it is time to review films on the critically acclaimed scale. Our review roundup, uh, we review films on a scale of C- to C+, where the lowest you can get is a C-, that is below average. Everything from we just generally don't like it to it's really, really terrible. Uh, a C is average, some good, some bad. Some people might like it more than others, depending on what they're interested in a genre. Uh, but yeah, mixed bag. 
And then C plus is above average. Uh, everything from we quite recommend this movie to oh my god, you have to see this film. And on that note, Whitney, uh, mm. why don't you tell us uh, what you grade? What grade you would give to Metal Lords? I'll give it a high C. I, okay. I feel like it could be stronger dramatically. I do love the yeah. young cast. I like a, a lot of that counterculture stuff we were talking about. Mm. Um, it it's not perfect, but it is incredibly sweet. Mm. And uh, yeah, you'll just very uplifting. Okay. Uh, uh, as they made us, I'm also going to give a C. Mm. Um, maybe not a very high C, but uh, if you just want to see some good acting, you want to see Dustin Hoffman and Candace Bergen in top form, and mm. uh, it's been a while since we've had a chance to see either of them, I think, in top form. Uh, definitely worth seeking out, but you're not going to maybe get much more out of it other than a couple of like really strong performances. Yeah. So, uh, But there are far worse things a movie can do, so pretty decent uh, uh, freshman effort. Uh, from Mayan Bialik there. Uh, all the old knives, Whitney. Mm. I, I clearly liked it more than you did. I, I liked the bookend material enough and uh-huh. the performances of the two leads enough that I was mm. a, a lot more forgiving of sort of the, the drag spy material. I like Jonathan Price a lot. I think all the acting is really, really good. Okay. Uh, and I loved, yeah, all the, the, the details of the fineries of the dinner scenes and all the sort of slow burn where they're sizing each other up of, of the two leads and they're unbelievably sexy and there's a lot of tension between the two of them uh so i'm gonna give it a c okay uh, i feel like if they had made the spy stuff stronger maybe even like tightened it up in in a, yeah. a different kind of way it would have played a lot better all right uh i'm gonna give this a big old c minus mm-hmm. um i like the cast uh i think they're it, it's interesting in fits and starts uh but i think they don't really find the right way into this story uh, I think there's a lot of the things that the movie thinks are important feel like digressions and they go on a really long time when what I'm really invested in are relationships between the characters and they're held at arm's length for mm-hmm. so long that it uh, seriously injures the film. I would have rather have seen a documentary about antique cutlery. I think that would have been like really old, interesting. Old knives. And, yeah, like all of them. Like just make it like an eight hour documentary about old knives. Uh, probably would have been more interesting than this. So uh, there you go. And Ambulance. Uh, a, a big old goose egg. Uh, this one was just, like most Michael Bay films. It is just a chore to get to the end. Mm. There's just way too much movement. The, the camera work is exciting and moving, but not exciting because it gets boring and hard to watch after a while. Uh, he's he clearly is having fun with his new toys, but he's not doing the, that. That is Michael Bay is not playing with them very well. Okay, so that is a so C minus. C minus for me. Okay, well, in any case, uh, dang. Uh, We'll be back next week with reviews of new movies, including Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. 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 It's the the 11th Harry Potter flag. Is it really? Uh, And the third without Harry Potter. Anyway, there's a bunch more uh, movies coming out. We'll try to get to as many of them as we can. Most of them are in the uh, smaller limited release uh, function. Uh, Should we talk about Inland Empire next week? Because that's getting re-released in theaters. Sure, we can talk about Inland Empire. Inland Empire. David Lynch's Inland Empire. Came out in 2006, and they did a 4K restoration. Yeah, I hope I get a chance to see that. But I definitely would love to talk about the film either way, because it's a Mm. really great film. Uh, so uh, we'll talk about a bunch of movies next week on Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for subscribing. Thank you to all of our patrons in particular, uh, without whom we couldn't keep this show or any of other shows going. 
Uh, if you want to join up and get a whole bunch of exclusive shows, uh, the it is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We just released a new episode of our podcast, Only the Best, where we reviewed all of the Best Picture nominees of 1946, I believe. 46 was our last one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that included films like Lords Olivier Henry V, It's a Wonderful Life, The Yearling, and The Best Years of Our Lives. Uh, so that is part of our big ongoing project to review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. There's about a backlog of over 20 episodes so far. Uh, so if you sign up now, you get that whole backlog and it's a whole bunch of stuff. We also have our Star Trek podcast, uh, monthly hangouts on uh, Discord, and more besides mm. uh, it's getting late and I'm starting to lose energy uh, so uh, thank you everyone for that if you want to uh, have a conversation with us about anything we discussed in this episode or anything at all you want to talk about uh, the best way to do that is to send us either an email our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net or snail mail uh, to our P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter. We would like that. P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, feel free to talk to us about anything we discussed in this episode. I'd be very curious if anyone uh, has ever seen a movie or a TV show, perhaps, uh, that actually seemed to accurately reflect your high school experience. Specifically yeah. high school, which I think is an interesting sort of spot. For movies to try to connect to, but it's in such a constant state of cultural flux that it's really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very, very curious if anyone has, can cite a specific example of a movie where it's like, that's it. That's exactly what my high school was like. Uh, I'd be very curious to hear about that. Uh, but anything else we want to talk about as well. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and I think that's about it. So thank you everybody for listening and never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>